Good evening. Um, Dave said as he read that passage that he found it difficult. Um, I don't see what the problem is. Pretty straightforward. I think it speaks for itself, and therefore I, I won't say too much about it. Um, one thing I did like there, I hadn't really noticed it before, uh, see verse 4. The writer to the Hebrews says, For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his rest. The guy doesn't know where he's quoting from. That struck a chord with me. I can, I can tell you a lot about different parts of the Bible, but quite often don't know exactly where. And You know when you did memory verses in Sunday school? I could never remember the... The, the reference at the end. We're going to certainly be looking at Hebrews 4 uh, a little bit as we go this evening. We'll come to Hebrews 4. It's not, not a passage that I'm going to preach uh, the way I say preach this morning uh, where I was working right through a passage, but, but I chose to have it read because of the, the focus there on, on rest, God's desire that his people would would find rest. Um, it's, it's very strong in that passage. It picks up on, on a lot of Old Testament imagery uh, and teaching. So that's what we're thinking about this evening, the prayer of rest. It, it may not feel very relevant to you if you're the kind of person who never feels that you would like to have a rest, if you never feel uh, tired, never feel worn out, never feel in need of God's uh, strengthening and energizing, then maybe this won't be very interesting for you. But if, like me, uh, you're a person who often does find themselves tired, um, spent, and, and needing to know God's um, carrying and strengthening presence, then, then maybe there will be something here uh, for some of us anyway. So let's begin to think about the prayer of rest, learning to rest in God. Richard Foster talks about the prayer of rest, and he says in the, when we pray the prayer of rest, God places his children in the eye of the storm. All around us is chaos and confusion. Deep within, we experience stability and serenity. In the midst of intense personal struggle, we are still and relaxed while a thousand frustrations seek to distract us we remain focused and attentive this is the result of the prayer of rest there probably isn't a more appealing invitation in the whole of scripture than Jesus own words uh, recorded for us in Matthew's gospel, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. I love the way Eugene Peterson renders those verses in the message, and many of you have heard these in recent times in our church life. But listen again and drink this in. Jesus' invitation to each one of us. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion come to me get away with me and you'll recover your life I'll show you how to take a real rest walk with me and work with me watch how I do it 
learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. It's not just wonderful. Jesus says, I'll show you how to take a real rest, how to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Isn't that just what we need in our lives, to, to be able to enter in to rest with God? Well, this is what Jesus is inviting us to. And no matter how much we find it elusive in our lives, the invitation stands. And it's this invitation and, and this way of life that we want to think about a bit this evening. Before we can enter into God's rest, I think we need to remind ourselves that God himself rests. So the Bible tells us that when he created the world uh, from the ant to the aardvark, and when he breathed life into human beings, God then rested. And that fact that God rested on the seventh day becomes a, a theological framework for Sabbath keeping that we see throughout the whole of, of Scripture, really. The Sabbath teaches us to rest in God. Instead of constantly striving to make this thing or that thing happen, we learn to trust God that he'll keep the world going, even if we stop. Sabbath doesn't produce inactivity. It instead teaches us dependent activity. We learn to be the kind of people who don't always have to take things into our own hands because we're learning to place things into God's hands and then to act whenever God prompts us by his Holy Spirit. The children of Israel, if you remember, God brought them out of Egypt um, into the desert, but his intention was to bring them quickly through the desert and to the promised land. But if you remember that story, you'll, you'll remember how a whole generation of Israelites never entered into the promised land. And, and I don't know if you've ever understood this. They're going from slavery, where you're working literally 24-7. You don't have a union. You don't negotiate your hours off. You work. And God's bringing you to a promised land. He's bringing you into his rest. And a whole generation of Israelites never made the journey. For 40 years, they wandered in the desert, and it was only their children who went and experienced God's rest. They couldn't trust God. They couldn't enter into his rest. And the writer to the Hebrews, he quotes God's tragic final declaration. He quotes from Psalm 95, they shall never enter my rest. People who don't learn to trust God don't know rest. When I'm not resting, it's because I'm not trusting God. I haven't learned that. Hebrews chapter 4, for, for a couple of moments, I, I do want to look at that. The writer says in verse 1, the promise of entering his rest still stands. He says in verse 3, now we who have believed entered that rest. 
So he says the opportunity to be in God's rest is there. Those who believe have somehow entered into it. But then in verse 11, he says, make every effort to enter into that rest. The rest is there. It's offered to all who believe. But we need to enter into it. How do we do that? How do we enter into rest? that God has for us. Well, I think we face a a serious dilemma here because on the one hand, we might be inclined to try and do something to take firm control of this situation. And on the other hand, we might be inclined to do do nothing, to, to rest, just to wait. Let's think for a second about why each of those isn't going to be the right thing to do. Whenever we talk about prayer and whenever we start thinking about how we might be prayerful, we tend to tackle it in the same way that we tackle anything else. It's an assignment. It's hard work. It's something more for us to do and to get on with. So we grit our teeth, we intensify our willpower, and we try, try, and try. I want to pray more. probably a pagan view of prayer that has the idea at the heart of it that if we try hard enough that somehow we can reach the God who is far from us and and get him to do what we want with our incantations, with our magic spells. If we get the formula right, if we put in the effort, if we work hard enough, then God responds. In the beginning of, in his book, Beginning to Pray, Anthony Bloom tells a story of an elderly woman who has been working at her prayer life but feels like she's been getting nowhere. She hasn't been sensing God's presence in it. So the archbishop gives her some advice and he says, go to your room each day and for 15 minutes knit before the face of God. Don't try to pray, just knit and enjoy the peace of your room and the presence of God. And at first the woman thought, you know, this is great. I have 15 minutes during which I can just do nothing, not feel guilty. The archbishop said it, so it's okay. But before long she found that the the silence was created by her knitting. She began to enter into a silence that she didn't expect. She said, I perceived that this silence was not simply the absence of noise. The silence had substance. It wasn't the absence of something, but the presence of something. And at the heart of the silence, there was he who is all stillness, all peace, and all poise. So she had to let go of all her tight-fisted efforts to pray and simply present herself present to God. And in doing so, she discovered his presence already there. Well, we mustn't get the wrong idea, though, because total passivity isn't the answer. Resting in God doesn't mean doing nothing. I don't know about you, but I don't often have the the ongoing experience of God's presence 
in those times when I'm when I simply switch off when I'm prayerless when I'm casual when I don't show up to be where God is when I live like that I don't generally in an ongoing way know God's presence so there is something for me to do so prayer isn't on the one hand about trying to control it and saying I'm going to do this and meet with God it's not on the other hand switching off and free willing what's an appropriate way then to understand prayer and to resting in God what approach do we take Eugene Peterson, in his book, The Contemplative Pastor, talks about prayer taking the middle voice. I'm a bit nervous even talking about this here. I know nothing uh, about English um, grammar, and Stanley's in the front row here. So uh, let me have a crack at this. And The active voice is when we take the action The passive voice is when we receive the action of another person. And the middle voice is when we both act and receive the action of another at the same time. We participate in the formation of the action, but the action also affects us. Peterson says, we neither manipulate God, that's the active voice, nor are manipulated by God. That's the passive voice. We're involved in the action and participate in its results, but don't control or define it. That's the middle voice. If you didn't understand any of that, that's okay. People who know and understand grammar maybe have an advantage with that illustration. The biblical teaching about Sabbath rest might sound passive at first, But when we remember God's invitation in Hebrews 4, we need to enter in to the rest. And in a moment, we're going to think a little bit about how we can pray a prayer of rest, what we can do to enter in uh, to this particular kind of praying. This evening we come to the end of of a a period where I've taught on prayer a number of times throughout the last couple of months. If there's one thing that struck me um, in my my reading and thinking and and learning about this, it's a surprising thing that I wouldn't really have anticipated. I I think I have never understood uh, as clearly as now how how much God enables our prayer it's come through in different ways and in different evenings and uh, i'm just going to share a little bit about that again just now but i've come away from a a few weeks of reflecting on this and, and trying to teach much more much more aware of god's role in inspiring prayer by his spirit and strengthening me for prayer and much less uptight about what I have to do uh, to make it work. Um, uh, Let me share a little bit uh, more about that just this evening. How can we pray a kind of a prayer that draws us into a restful place with God? 
Why is it that prayer isn't all hard work after all? The truth is that while we're full participants in the work of prayer, that that lovely image that Jane gave us of the little girl with her hands on the oar, we, we are participants, but the prayer doesn't depend on us. How often has the the minister or the the leader stood at the front and cajoled us into prayer? It doesn't depend on us. The Bible teaches instead that God prays with us and through us and for us. The Bible, I think, is, is just full of good news about prayer. So Romans 8 Paul says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Isn't that just brilliant? Uh, We we know those verses, many of us, they're, they're pretty well known. But the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, himself accompanies us in prayer. When we stumble over the words, he sorts them out. When we pray with muddied motives, the Spirit purifies them. The point is that we don't have to have everything right to pray. We we thought about that right at the start of this series when we talked about simple prayer and ordinary prayer. Prayers don't need to be right. We can pray what is on our hearts and the Spirit will take it and work with it. I hope that we have a strong sense of that. God's Spirit reshapes, refines, and reinterprets our feeble and ego-driven prayers. It's not a great reason to be resting in prayer because the Holy Spirit prays through us. But it gets even better. In Hebrews, we're reminded that Jesus is the great high priest. As you know, the function of the high priest in Israel is to intercede with God on behalf of the people. The high priest brings the people to God. And we thought about this uh, when we were thinking about intercessory prayer recently. Do, Do we really get this and realize what this means? It means that this evening, while we're here, And tomorrow, while we're getting the kids ready for the school run, or while we're sitting in the traffic to go to a workplace that we hate, in that time, Jesus Christ is praying for us. Tonight, as we sleep in the long darkness, he's praying for us. The eternal Son of God offering continual prayer before God's throne in our behalf. The Spirit prays through us. Jesus brings the prayers to the Father. And even then, we're not done. The best is yet to come. Hard as it is for us to imagine, God is in everlasting fellowship with himself through our stumbling prayers. P.T. Forsyth writes, When we speak to God, it is really the God who lives in us, speaking through us to himself. Isn't that just staggering? So when we pray, we have the the activity of the everlasting Trinity 
flowing through our frail prayers. God the Spirit, he takes our sighs and our groans. Jesus, the Son, intercedes. He brings our prayers to the Father. And God the Father who sits on the throne, he uses our prayers to form a perfect soliloquy, God communing with God. Tell me this, do you think if we came to terms with some of that, with the amount of God's help, and enabling that we're party to in our praying, do you think we'd be able to relax a little bit? Do you think we'd be able to relax our, our tight-fisted grip on life? Could we relax in our, in our paranoias about prayer? Could we learn to, to give ourselves over more to him and to trust him to lead us into a deeper and a fuller friendship? Could even prayer become a place of rest in God? I want to finish by sharing a couple of well-established practices that can lead us into the prayer of rest. The first is solitude. With solitude, we we choose to be away from, from people and activities the things that might normally fill our, our minds and our hearts. And we do that so that we might discover something else, the presence of God. The Gospels talk about Jesus taking time for solitude. So in Mark chapter 1, right at the, the outset of his account of Jesus' ministry, Mark says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. That's not a single event in the life of Jesus. That's, that's the pattern of Jesus' life. We see that at other points in the gospel record. Jesus needed frequent retreat, time alone with his Father. He needed that to allow him to do his work. And it's very strange then that we who, who want to follow Jesus imagine that we can do without something that he relied so much on how do we do it how do we go about it well for a person who doesn't have ongoing family commitments or dependence other people to consider in how they use their time i'd suggest that it it still needs an element of planning we still need to get the diary out and to say that piece of time i'm going to set aside I'm going to experience some solitude. How you do that will vary um, on the kind of person that you are. I quite enjoy being outdoors whenever I try to experience solitude. Maybe, maybe walking. Uh, that would be a good place for me. Maybe we take one Saturday per month and we say, on that Saturday I'm not going to do the usual shopping, cleaning, sport watching, whatever you do on your Saturday and instead I say I'm going to do none of those things and I'm going to take some time to be alone with God and to learn to rest in him if you do have commitments uh, 
people who you're responsible to with your time, then it does take a lot more creativity. I, I grant that. But, but I think it's still possible to know times of solitude. Maybe a husband and a wife can take turns in looking after children to allow the other to have a, a, an afternoon to, to be alone. I know that Claire and I have, have benefited from the times when we have done that for each other uh, to experience some solitude. So solitude, uh, that's an important discipline for those who want to learn to rest in God. Can I tell you about solitude that it's terrifying? It doesn't sound like it ought to be. It sounds very nice. But in solitude, you take everything away, all the noise that you use to fill your life, to dull your senses to what's really going on deep in your soul. But in the end, we, we must learn to do that if we want to live beyond the, below the surface and to really meet with God in the silence. So solitude, a first, a first discipline for those who want to enter rest with God. A second practice that helps us to enter God's rest is silence. I think that means more than just not speaking or the absence of noise. It means setting aside our tendency to to control things and to be activists to do stuff. It means to become quiet and hushed and still from our distractions. Francois Fenelon, the French spiritual writer, he said of the voice of God, and it stopped me in my tracks when I read this, he said, it's a gentle and delicate voice only heard by those who no longer hear anything else. It's a gentle and delicate voice only heard by those who no longer hear anything else. Isn't that true? For the most part, God doesn't choose to shout above the noise of our lives. If we live noisy lives, we don't hear God. Mostly he seems to wait until we're silent before he speaks. Now, it seems to me that that's going to be a challenge for people like us who live in a world of thousands of television channels, of non-stop internet access, and all our other invasive technologies. We have some thinking to do, I think, about how we can know silence so that we can hear the voice of God. Solitude and silence. Just now we're going to do what we've done a little bit in the last few weeks, and that is leave a wee bit of time actually within the, the church service uh, for you to, to take a moment to pray. It'll not be a very long period of time, so if, if you find it somewhat uncomfortable, maybe not what you expected here this evening, please, uh, please 
forgive us for that and, and bear in mind it'll only be five minutes um, but we're going to leave a little bit of time this evening a little bit of silence just for us to to see if we can rest in God and I'd encourage you to dwell on that stuff that we thought about about how you, the three parts of the Godhead are also active in our praying they, they're doing the praying when we come to prayer come to meet with God we're, we're joining in with something that's already going on so I'm going to I'm going to pray a brief prayer just now then we'll have a period of silence and then as we did last week the musicians will break that period of silence with the introduction for our final hymn so I won't be on my feet to say anything much uh, I'll, we'll just hear the introduction we'll stand uh, and we'll sing our final hymn it's a wonderful hymn I think to, to finish our thinking this evening it is well with my soul it's a hymn that describes uh, that that sense of resting in God knowing that whatever is happening in our lives that while we live in the eye of the storm that it can be peace and well with our souls so we'll come to that after a, a short period of silence but first let me say a, a, a brief prayer let us pray dearest Lord Jesus we're not very good at resting in you we haven't yet learned to live the unforced rhythms of grace we haven't yet learned how to live freely and lightly nothing in our experience has taught us how to do this we've been taught to take charge we've been taught how to be in control but how to rest no we have no models no guidance for how to rest Jesus help us to learn this from you when you walked the Judean hills and the streets of Jerusalem you showed us this way of life you showed us what it is to rest in God you had incredible demands placed on you and still you worked in unhurried peace and power Help us to walk in your steps. Teach us this way of life. Help us, Lord, to rest as we work and rest as we pray. Amen.